0: You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone. Everyone alive? Uh, Of course I misplaced my water bottle. Um, If you see a yellow one, actually might be the exact same one that Ian has. Thank you. Oh, how do I make this go up? Oh, uh, there we go. Hi, hi, everyone on camera. Um, I'm going to try do a little bit of talking to the audience and talking to the camera. So it does help to have a few people who are not on their phones just to react. So if you want to volunteer as tribute, um, you know that would be great. Just to feel like a human again. <laughs> So, you know, we're doing this Fruit of the Spirit, uh, Fruits of the Spirit sermon series, and this is a second-to-last one. We have one more coming up. When Jonathan asked which Fruit of the Spirit... Oh, but my name is Sarah. Uh, I'm the executive director. All pronounce okay with me. Um, when Jonathan asked what Fruit of the Spirit uh, he wanted me to preach on, I chose uh, maybe the most exciting, sexiest fruit of all, Self-control. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be talking about binding, not uh, bondage, not that kind of control, more, more mundane forms of control. Um, and you know, the truth is, I'm actually not a big fan of this fruit of the Spirit. I, partly I chose this sermon so that I could, like, figure out how to appreciate it. Um, now's my time for water. And one of the reasons why I'm not the biggest fan is because I do feel, in general, we sort of overvalue this fruit, if that makes sense. Um we we sort of beat ourselves up for being like too lazy, eating too much, like being too horny. And how many times have you said, you know, one of these phrases this past week, like I shouldn't have eaten that, Uh, it was a really unproductive day, total waste, or, you know, I'm sorry I'm being so emotional right now, I don't know why I'm crying. You know, these are all basically phrases we say to indicate we don't have enough self-control. And I do think it's quite interesting as a side note that these forms of control around sex, food, work are essentially all forms of population control if you think about it. Um, and historically, if you look at a set of um, historical records, you see these forms of population control become more. Uh, in vogue in the rise of industrialism and capitalism when a state becomes invested in creating labor classes of workers who will be really disciplined and work and marry and have fat kids to be the next generation of workers and stuff like that. So it's a fun thing if you're interested in that history, you can read Caliban and the Witch by Silvia Federici. Um, so that's kind of, in short, my modern problem with the fruit of self-control. Historically, even if you look back to the context of the Bible, I don't think it's that great either. I mean, the Greco-Romans they had this kind of idea that reason was the king, the master, and our bodily flesh desires were. Uh, meant to be subject or enslaved to our reason. So you have Plato in uh, the text of the Republic that, who says that there are certain people who have more reason who should rule over those who are more governed by their bodily desires. And those people are what he calls natural slaves. Um, so it's you know, not too big of a surprise that European uh, men in particular use this logic you know, much later on to justify dominion, exploitation of women, working class people, anyone they colonize. Um, And because I love history, I'm just going to quote uh, historian Anne Stoller, who wrote the book Race and the Education of Desire. And she says this, European bourgeois men um, collapsed non-Europeans and women into an undifferentiated field, one in which passion and not reason reigned. It was in the colonies that indifference to suffering was a sign of national strength and an essential condition of manhood. So, I mean, the quote is a bit academic. Just to really break it down for you, essentially it's saying we, as European bourgeois men, deem you, you being a woman, a working class person, an addict, a non-white person, as unable to control and govern yourself. Thus, we will literally control and govern you. And we can do that because we can control ourselves. We are indifferent to suffering. And this is kind of this profound connection between masculinity and white supremacy, um, which I don't have time to get into, but it's worth sitting with for a second. So I, I wanted to do the sermon, as I said before, to find, given all these objections I have to this fruit, is there a way I can appreciate and learn to value this fruit of self-control? So I will stay upfront also that I'm not an impartial judge uh, of self-control and I'll tell a story to show why. I was uh, in Prasic Park a few weeks ago, weekends ago with my partner. and. She had wandered off to find Sichuan peppercorns. Uh, There's like one bush basically in Prospect Park. And she got lost coming on her way back. And I didn't have my phone because I was trying to be like tech free. Um, And it's like one hour, two hours later, she finally comes back. I'm just like pissed off. I'm just like, I'm so hungry right now. It's like 1230, I've not eaten. Um, We're like, I can barely walk. I'm like lightheaded. How do I get out of this park to find food? And she just looks at me and says, like, shut up. You know, like, you're not starving. Um, you are, just get hangry when you're hungry. And Because I've been working from home for the past five years. I work freelance. Anytime I feel hungry, I just go to the fridge. So I'm just not used to, like, having to sit with my hunger for longer than five minutes. And of course, I was offended by her accusation that I was doing a tamper tantrum uh, at the ripe age of 29. So I, I decided, you know, a few days later, Yom Kippur, which is a Day of Atonement and Fasting for Jews, rolled around. And uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to fast with you. Uh, my partner is Jewish. I'm going to prove to you that I can be not, not enslaved to my hunger. I can be in control. And so the fasting started, Um, I spent most of it cleaning, to be honest, just to distract myself from the hunger. The other half, I spent Googling on Yelp, the best food to eat and the best restaurant to go to as soon as the fast ended. I think I had like 10 minutes of prayer. Um, And then at the end, I had the best meal of my life. It was like pasta with pancetta and peas or something like that it was truly delicious and i was like wow i you know I haven't fasted in years my parents grew up fasting like dinners but they would cheat and also like, like yogurt and liquids and stuff like that And I did it kind of with them once in a while, but I really haven't done it for a decade. I was like, I'm I'm impressed with myself, I could do it. And and, and sort of reflecting, there is this kind of like, you know, that meal was good, but you know, I I know objectively it's not the best meal I've ever had, but it really did feel like it. And there's this kind of interesting yin yang rhythm between um, denial and joy, between feasting and fasting, this kind of dynamic that I think explains a little bit of why most of our major religions, including Christianity, have some forms of traditions of self-denial and self-control, whether it's fasting, silence, solitude, you know, things that our sort of body and spirit sort of need. And I do think there are unhealthy ways of going about these traditions. If you're low pressure, you know, what have you, you're on diabetes, you have an eating disorder, I probably wouldn't recommend fasting. Um, But I think there's something about these traditions that are worth paying attention to. So... I hope by now you've become a bit more curious about this fruit of self-control, and let's kind of dive into it a little bit more. So if we look at the context in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, as you know, is when we talk about the self-control thing. And for those of you a little bit unfamiliar with how the Bible is structured, Galatians is basically a letter that Paul writes to the church in Galatia, which is a city located in now modern-day Turkey. Um, so there are six chapters in Galatians, and I could go straight to Galatians 5, but that would sort of be like reading a six-page letter starting with page 5. So, you know, it's always it's worth if you're reading the Bible yourself to, like, skim a little bit what all the chapters that came before, just see what's going on. And if you do that, uh, you'll see... That the first four or five chapters are basically this big hubbub happening in the church of Galatia between uh, these Gentiles and Jews, and particularly these Gentiles who, you know, are interested in this Jesus guy, interested in following what is then really just a Jewish sect. Um, you know, the word Christian isn't really common vogue yet. Uh, And the Gentiles are wondering, okay, if we want to follow Jesus, should we follow this entire covenant and law that you have as well? Should we, you know, observe the Sabbath? Should we do the holy days? Should we we get circumcised? Um, You know, this is kind of pressure. Like, we're entering into your sort of Jewish sect. Should we do this as well? And Paul is saying, look, if you're Jewish already, keep the covenant. But if you're not, you don't have to. And he says this verse in particular, For circumcision, uncircumcision does not matter Um, what's the exact verse? The only thing that counts is faith working through love. But you can kind of uh, imagine, uh, just by the way, the reason why circumcision is focused on here, it, it might seem a little bit odd, but it, it is the physical marker that you are part of the covenant of Judaism. Uh, if you're a man, or oh, we have kind of the relevant body part. Moses' son is almost killed by God because the son was not circumcised, and his mother has to do like an emergency roadside circumcision in the book of Exodus. It's actually quite fun. I uh, would check it out. So, this is why circumcision is so important. Um, so, Paul says, you know, circumcision or no, I'm just circumcision, it does not matter. Faith working itself through love. But you can see for the Gentiles how that's a bit unsatisfying. Because they're saying, okay, that's nice, but it sounds kind of vague you know, how do I know? I want some more clear-cut answers as to what right and wrong looks like. I mean, my Jewish siblings have that. They have, you know, certain behaviors laid out, certain things they have to follow. Like, what do I have? What does faith working itself through love mean? And I think some of us, you know, who've come maybe from covenants or clear-cut moral situations where it's like don't have sex, don't do drugs, don't drink, you know, all that kind of stuff, don't get divorced, and we've kind of put that aside, but then we're also feeling like, What do I do with this newfound freedom? How do I decide what is right and wrong if I'm no longer following the codes I used to? And so Paul, I think, is sensitive to that. And so he says this in particular. For you will call to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, carousing, cruising, I don't really know, and things like this. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. There is no law against such things. So Paul is saying, this is how you kind of know what right and wrong is. Does the thing you're trying to think about or decide if it's right or wrong lead to this list of things, A, or does it lead to this list of things that I'm calling the fruit of the spirit? And, of course, listen to the past four sermons to kind of hear our takes on the different fruit. Obviously, I'm focusing on self-control. Um, And, you know, just as a tip, because I know some of us are trying to, like, re-engage the Bible for, like, the second time or maybe for the first time. If you're ever curious more about the meaning of a particular word, um, it's always helpful, you know, sometimes it's not, to look up the word in the original Greek or Hebrew. And there are tons of websites that do this. BibleHub.com is, like, one of the websites you can use. Here's the definition. Um, Ekratia, which means uh, in the sphere of dominion and mastery, Proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. So, N, Ekratia, N means in the sphere of, and Kratos means dominion. And I kind of love this definition, this idea of proceeding out from within oneself, as in it's coming from within, not a, just a re- reaction to something that's coming from without. And just I want to note that there's another Greek word called sophron, which has a pretty similar meaning that's used quite often, actually more often in the Bible and in Greek philosophy. But that word tends to mean moderation, temperance. This word, the emphasis, is about the source of action. Is it coming from within or is it a reaction to something from without? And by within, I don't just mean from within yourself, I think it's yourself, and the Holy Spirit. So if you look at the second part of the definition, of ekratia, can only be accomplished by, quote, the power of the Lord. That is why it is called explicitly a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you know in this definition, it's self-control comma spirit control. They're almost treated as synonyms. And I think that's pretty profound because it sort of means that whatever actions of self-control we carry out, they cannot be carried out by our own strength alone, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. So I'll return to that point, but just to really pause here, you know, notice in Galatians 5, self-control is at the very end of the list, it's like love, patience, blah, 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 and every time you find a list of things, the rabbis always love to ask, why does this have this particular order, why does it come at the front end, why does it come in the beginning? Um, As I don't have any kind of guesses. I mean, I think it's quite obvious why love is the first. Jonathan has preached about how love is the fruit roll-up of all the fruits. Paul has written about how love is the greatest of all. Any guesses as to why self-control is the last one? And I'll have to take questions from the audience. (laughs) I mean, because I can't really look at my phone. No guesses? It's the what? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I mean, honestly, who really knows? But, you know, one, one, one take on this is, I mean, that's the kind of the fun of it, is like, so maybe this. Um, well, I think one take on this is that it is the fruit that makes all the other fruits possible. It's kind of like a meta fruit, a fruit enabler. Uh, the metaphors are getting a bit out of control. But it's essentially, if you want to be manifesting love, patience, joy, you know, goodness, all that kind of stuff, that you want to make sure these things are coming from within yourself and through the power of the spirit and not just a reaction to whatever's happening around you. Self-control is sort of underlying all the other fruits. And so I think this is really kind of profound because it really does flip the current paradigm of self-control on its head. So whatever you know, efforts of self-control we, we do, whether it's about regulating our emotions, our body, what have you, I think the scripture calls us to examine them through two by asking two questions. First question is, are we doing this, once again, from a way that's rooted in our values and who we are, or are we doing this as a reaction to something that's coming from outside of ourselves? And of course, we, you know, it's not things are not clearly one thing or another. We don't act in a void. We are not blank slates. But I think it's worth helping us think about whatever things or actions we take, are these choices we are intentionally making? Are we owning these choices? Because these choices are coming from within us. The second question I think scripture calls us to ask is, are we acting out of our own strength solely or are we operating through the power of the spirit? And I'm going to spend a bit more time on the second question because I think it's really crucial. Um, the core, I think, of our self-control game in modern society, I think, is um, a game of self-mastering. It's like, look at me, I'm so like I'm owning myself, I don't know, I like didn't eat food or I, I worked so hard, I pulled all nighter. It's all about like how I overcame my limitations, how I'm awesome. And I, actually I think Christianity, the core of self-control is about surrender to the spirit. It's about, I think, recognizing what your limits are, what your capacity is, what you can and cannot do and leaning on God and others to work through you, to pick up where you leave off to work so you can rest. And I think for, I think most of us, I think our lives feel dictated by systems and powerful people whom we cannot control. They dictate if we get a stimulus check, we are subject to the whims of our landlords, our bosses, for some of us police officers, um, a stranger who may or not may wear a mask when they're walking past you in the grocery store, we're subject to the whims of our kids or what have you. And it feels like a lot is outside of our control. So the question is, in the midst of that space, what do we really have control over? Like, what do we really actually have dominion over? And I think at the end of the day, it's just ourselves. It's our, bot, our reactions, our choices, our feelings, our narratives that we tell ourselves. And it can feel like the tiniest bit of freedom and power, but I think it kind of makes all the difference because it helps you realize, actually, I do have some agency here. I can choose to do A or to do B. So let's say, you know, we're reading the news and we read about all the injustices happening. We can choose to disengage and be cynical, and I think there is space for that. Um, Or we can choose to say, we believe God's justice is greater. Because of that, I'm going to call my legislators, I'm going to vote, I'm going to sign this petition. I might even, if you feel comfortable, protest and march. And when I see this line of police officers and riot you're coming at us, I'm going to choose to link arms with someone else next to me and march forward and chant, you know, the people united will never be defeated. And I'm going to choose, you know, if I'm arrested, to pray maybe with my arresting police officer. I think those are actions of the Holy Spirit and ourselves at work. When we have lost income or we're grieving the loss of a loved one, we can choose to suck it up and say, I'm going to go through it alone. That's one choice. Or we can choose to say, I need help. I'm beyond my limits. I can't do it. And then maybe next thing you know, a home-cooked meal as part of a meal train is at your door. Maybe a stranger you've never met but goes to the same church and is part of the same Facebook group uh, shows up and offers you a ride in their car to get to a place you need to go because you don't have a car. Maybe you check your Venmo account and you have a few hundred dollars from this account called FFBKs-Gifts. And I think that's the Holy Spirit at work as well. When, you know, to quote the the wonderful minds behind the single dot group, Becky or Brad ghosts you and does not text you back. Mm -hmm. Or, to be more serious, when maybe your relationship, a marriage, for over a decade or two decades is starting to unravel. I think we can choose to say, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, you know, this is always going to be the way it is. Or you can choose to say, I am going to reach out. I'm going to connect with other people who do love me, with friends, with community, with small group, and share and pray together. I can choose to come and worship on Sunday service together and be filled with love and joy and grounded in the deeper truths. I think that is also the Holy Spirit at work. And I, I think we hope and pray that our actions, our choices will obviously result and bear fruit. But we ultimately do not have control over that. That is the work of God, that is the work of Holy Spirit, and I think all we choose is to be faithful to doing what feels right, what makes sense in this moment as guided by the Spirit. see, does, does this choice lead to the fruits of the Spirit, or does it lead to the list of things that were mentioned before? And I think the gift of the fruit, of the Spirit of self-control is it allows us to focus on what we can control, that it is ourselves, in the midst of uncertainty and oppressive systems. I think, I hope, you know, this gives you a little bit of peace, a little bit of freedom. I think the organizers and activists who I admire the most are able to sort of act with this non-attachment, attitude of non-attachment at the same time. And I know I'm certainly not there, but I hope I can be one day. And I I think that if I will get there one day, I will know that the Holy Spirit truly is at work in my life and bearing fruit in my life. So will you pray with me for this fruit of self-control? God, we thank you that you are, um, your spirit is working through us right now, abiding with us, even when it feels that it is out of reach, even when we feel alone, even when it feels like no one else is there. We know your spirit is at work and is calling us to reach out beyond ourselves, to connect, to ask for help, because I think asking for help is a beautiful expression of the Holy Spirit moving within us. Thank you for everyone who asked for help today during the live stream comments, for Anna's um, poignant uh, letter to our church, for um, yeah, everyone who has reached out privately or publicly. I pray that the, in these moments of vulnerability, in the moments where we recognize our limits and what we can and cannot control, where we need to rely on the Spirit and our community, that miracles will happen, that the fruits of the Spirit will be abundant. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.